Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we are discussing The Palace of Illusions by Chitra Devakaruni. Palace of Illusions is the epic tale of Mahabharat retold from Panchali's point of view. The novel traces the princess Panchali's life beginning with her birth in fire and following her balancing act as a woman with five husbands who have been cheated out of their father's kingdom. Panchali swept into their quest to reclaim their birthright, remaining at their side through years of exile and a terrible civil war involving all the important kings of India. You know, this has been my favorite book since i read it i think it was 5 years ago and it has been the book that i have never actually forgotten and i'm so glad that we are finally discussing this book on brown girls read and we are also getting chitra to discuss it with us so it is definitely a dream come true i know i have so many things to ask her and you're right this is a book that will stay with you i loved reading it yeah And since this is a story told from the point of view of Panchali starting from her childhood through her years of marriage exile war as a reader you can't ignore the gender discrimination throughout the story like Panchali's birth name was Draupadi she doesn't like her name because all it means is daughter of Draupad as a child she tries to come up with names for herself something that has a stronger meaning like offspring of vengeance the unexpected one In one instance her daima retorts by saying that you are the girl who wasn't invited. It was one of those things that felt to me very mean like how dare she feel good about herself let's bring her down a little. Yeah but you know the story is also set up in ancient India. So of course there were things like this you know that were expected out of women. They were supposed to be good daughters, good wives and good mothers. But it was also fun to read how Panchali challenged the status quo in every phase of her life. Yeah and I think that's why I love the book so much because I believe Chitra intentionally brought out a lot of these issues which in the story sound like they belong to an ancient world but at the same time we can see that they also hold true in today's society and I loved how Draupadi did not accept everything that was thrown at her and renamed herself Panchali after a few years right and another thing Panchali challenged was being told that she doesn't need to get education even the people who were her well wishers they believed that it will make her too hard headed argumentative too man like and again this is something i think even exists in today's world where people prefer women to be less educated than their husbands like i remember growing up seeing people discouraging girls from getting a masters degree because there weren't enough guys with a higher education around and a highly educated woman doesn't make a good wife according to them I mean self-reliance, intelligence or even having a voice aren't necessarily qualities of a good wife in this society. Right, and things have changed now of course, but I guess not by a lot. In some parts of India girls are still expected to be submissive. But yeah, you're right. Our society does not readily accept that a woman could be bold, strong or ambitious. But we also see in the book that Panchali was being shunned by her dad's many queens. because they couldn't accept that she was made for bigger things according to the prophecy that was made when she was born yeah it's kind of funny that both she and her brother were born with prophesized destinies but people didn't trust her the same way they trusted her brother 
I think in this part of her life, Chitra has captured beautifully the state of women in this mythological epic and also in her actual real world. It's so true, you know, any woman who does something new, people usually have a very nonchalant attitude towards it. But the same thing a man will do and they'll be gushing all over them. I know. Right? Like in the context of anything new, like opening a business or going against the norms of the society or even a simple thing like marriage. If a guy tells his parents that he isn't ready for marriage, it's a discussion between him and his parents. But if a girl tells the same thing, it's rebellion or she has <laughs> lost her mind or she isn't thinking right or she's immature. Bottom line, she's not a good girl there. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, one more thing that I want to discuss is Swayamvars. So in ancient India, there was this trend of Swayamvars. Swayamvars are basically these huge parties thrown by the kings to show off their daughters. And then kings from other kingdoms would come and have some sort of competition between them. And whoever wins would get to marry the princess. And I feel like this was such an interesting idea. Like, you know, a way of letting women feel special. And all the strict and difficult rules around the Swayamvars. Like guys had to actually work hard and be really talented to get the woman they liked. Compare that to today's generation. Boys have it so easy. They just swipe right and that's it. That is so boring. (laughs) So maybe the competition is who swipes right more. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But you know, as a teenager, when Mahabharat used to be on TV, I loved the idea of Swamber. I used to think like, this is how I would like to get married. Like all these guys lined up for me and (laughs) going through all these hurdles and then I will decide who I pick. It sounds like Bachelorette. (laughs) (laughs) But now as an adult, I see Swamber a little differently, honestly. Like on the surface, it looks like a choice. And even the definition is like you yourself are picking your groom. Technically, that's what Swamber means. But I question how legitimate that definition is in practice. Like in the story itself, we see that, first of all, whoever is invited is kind of vetted by the family. So that choice belongs to the family. But even after that, the brother, the father, and even her close friend Krishna, they have all kind of decided who is the good match for her. Like when Karan comes forward, we see that Panjali likes this guy. But everybody else does not think it's a good match. So they tried to change things up. And I was like, where is the choice in all of this? Reading that whole part, I kept wondering, why are so many men involved in making her life's decision? Like everyone has their own interest, own things they would be gaining from this. Yeah, but you know, that's of course there. I mean, it's ancient India, right? What are you expecting? She can't just (laughs) walk to the stage and say, I'm going to marry this guy. (laughs) Even Indian girls in so many parts of the country still don't get to do that. I mean, still, there has to be some choice in a practice that claims to let the girl pick her suitor. Maybe some girls got to do that, in all fairness. But in Panchali's story, it wasn't there. And to take it to next level, her chosen suitor translates to her having (laughs) five husbands, thanks to her mother-in-law, which (laughs) is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, you know, as a kid, I learned that there is a mythological story about a woman having five husbands. I was actually surprised. It felt... So progressive, like... I know, like we would only hear of kings having four wives, ten wives, hundred wives. Yeah, but now that I read the book, I realized that the way it happened is not progressive at all. (laughs) 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 Yeah, but like there was a swayamvar, but like you said, she was basically forced into it. No one asked what she thought about it. 
can you imagine if this happens today it would be like a crime patrol episode i feel <laughs> yeah there was like so much going on there yeah. and even after the marriage when there's this whole discussion happening whether it's right for a woman to have five husbands it's all men discussing the righteousness of this marriage and no one ever stopped to think how this woman is feeling about the arrangement and the final arrangement that they came to was also totally just designed for men right like she'll spend one year with each husband and when she goes to the next one she's re-virginized i know what was like, that what the hell <laughs> i kept feeling over and over in this part that there were literally zero choices for her but she still had to bear the consequences of the choices that others made like arjun who's her third husband the one who was the chosen suitor in her swamvar he projected all his anger at her because he didn't like the situation and i was thinking dude you were there she didn't ask for this it was forced on her why are you mad at her it's actually your mom who did this yeah it was ridiculous i actually didn't even like any of her husband maybe bheem but oh, yeah it. bheem was the sweetest yeah. i love bheem <laughs> but I all actually, of the others were like so narcissistic right just thinking about themselves i know everybody has had their own agendas their own ideologies i think i hated yudhishthir the most right because i felt like he was kind of delusional in so many things yet just because he was elder he got to be in charge and he led them to where they went right like because of his gambling and other stuff right yeah also i didn't like arjun as well arjun is like in mahabharat arjun is supposed to be the character that people usually like right yeah he's the coolest i remember from tv version yeah but when you get deeper into the story and you realize like he was so he was a male chauvinist i guess yeah I think the moment he decided to get angry at Panchali for all this uh, he lost my respect because I'm like dude that's not her fault. Yeah, you're supposed to be the same one. You're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, coming back to this. Since I mentioned the obsession with her virginity in this arrangement, there's another thing that reminded me of the same obsession our culture has. In the story there's a part where Panchali notices that there are a lot of pictures of kings around but not so many of queens and she thinks that maybe there isn't demand for women's pictures after they get married maybe this goes to chitra's writing again that it spoke clearly to me of of the devaluation of women that happens in our society after they are married like there's a ridiculous amount of value placed on virginity yeah. even in our festivals i know there's one called kanjak maybe not all places celebrate that but there's one i remember and then there are also religious rites where people wait is kanjak celebrating women's virginity it's not celebrating women's virginity i don't know why it's celebrated but they give food to virgins small girls oh virgins kuwari okay. ladki is what okay. the term is right so kuwari is like unmarried virgin basically right and there are other rites where they do the same so they give food and clothing to virgins as part of improving their karma or whatever right and married women don't get that respect in any festival they just do the work like even as a kid i would notice that we were treated sort of as goddesses we were told that like girls yeah. are goddesses so you don't touch anyone's feet you don't need to pick after anyone's dirty dishes you don't need to do any of that it was a great feeling actually yeah <laughs> but then as you grow up you see that it's not like because i am a goddess men are doing the work it's other women who are doing the work the married women who are doing the work So you learn that once you are married dude all the respect is just going away. <laughs> Damn it. Marriage ruins everything. 
we become we go from being goddesses to being these women who maids dasis yeah exactly <laughs> marriage is nothing for women it's a useless concept <laughs> well my husband would be proud of me for saying this <laughs> have you noticed like after marriage how everything becomes about marriage or kids in the book as well after panchali got married she realized that all the blessings that she was getting from her elders were about long lives for her husbands or having healthy kids like you know may your husband live a longer life or may you have a lot of kids and then i love this line that she says or like she's actually thinking in the book that this seemed to be the nature of boons given to women they were handed to us like presents we hadn't quite wanted it's actually true right like even today women get the same blessing for husbands long lives from elders which i have always kind of translated as it's okay if you die no worries but your husband should live <laughs> and then there's another which i really hate it's a blessing for a woman to have sons like dudo na hao puto oh god i hate that don't women themselves find this offensive they were girls once i feel like these are all frustrated women who want to frustrate other happy women you know <laughs> Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p o d g o.co. One of the reasons I love this book is because it questions the Hindu scriptures through the eyes of a woman something that probably hasn't been done before so you know like how Hindus believe in reincarnation they also believe that people go to different kinds of heaven and hell based on the good or the bad deeds they believe that from time to time gods will appear as humans on the earth to help guide us to our destinies and i think it's very important to discuss it because this is the central plot of the book so to give our listeners a background the five brothers got to know somehow that their ancestors have not been granted permission in the highest heaven but they can be promoted if on earth the brothers make all the other kingdoms pay them tribute and if they don't then the brothers must battle and defeat all the kingdoms and this made panchali question some stuff about religion and gods and the concept of heaven and hell but even before getting into that discussion i have a question for you do you believe in god like do you believe that there is a hell and a heaven and based on our deeds we go to either one or the other i believe there's a god but god for me is not the same that i learned growing up so basically what i'm trying to say is i believe there is a higher spiritual power but i don't think it's what we have been taught growing up like i don't believe there's a hell and heaven and i don't think there's a person with a notebook on each of us where he's noting down oh here here she screwed up here she did well and like you know keeping a tally of our deeds you know i don't even think there is anything like karma like if you're mean to someone i don't think anything happens to you yeah, because you like, see so many rich we, people yes exactly how mean. do we explain all these like really cruel evil kind of people being so rich right exactly i don't think they face any consequences i think all these concepts are built for poor and middle class people so yeah. that when they don't find success that they wanted they can pacify themselves with all this yeah i think we are probably going to get some very shady messages <laughs> if someone listens to this we shouldn't get any messages 
so the people who would be messaging should remember that if their version is true we'll just go to hell simple oh that's true yeah but you know i also think that growing up in india religion isn't presented to us as a choice at all it's just something that you know has always been there and you're not allowed to question it so you can't really blame the people who follow or believe in all of these things because they have never taught to question these uh, question religion yeah i think in our country religion and culture are very tightly knit it actually becomes very confusing to differentiate which is which at some point and then depending on how much of confusion is within you you either go through a questioning phase or you just keep following yeah you know i also went through an existential crisis after this and i had my own little awakening where <laughs> i realized that all this is bullshit like life is just evolution and some random events and then you die i feel I'm like <laughs> and also i feel like you know people who do follow religion actually any religion are so rigid they don't want to even consider the possibility of some other belief system existing and if that's what religion teaches them to do then what's the use of a religion like that like if god tells you to ignore those million poor people and instead of giving them food put the food in the temples what's the use of such a god i think god or religion is not teaching this there's no god directly coming to tell you these kind of things it's just that some men appoint themselves as religious heads and then it's it's the version of those men's thinking that we get and that's where right. we allow one man to rule us kind of take us in very wrong direction at some point and this is also what happened in the book right like someone random came to these uh, husbands and told them that their ancestors are not getting place in the highest of the heaven so they have to do all of these things like I know, kill nobody the questioned it nobody yeah. questioned it. like what is highest heaven first of all <laughs> who knows i don't know but then even if that exists like this man had a reputation for just causing trouble everywhere and apparently everyone knew it that this man goes from place to place right. causing trouble cause he loves gossip even then they're like against all warnings doing these stupid things yeah and i love panchali here because she was the only one who is seen questioning this person's methods or you know what this person told her husbands because you know she's thinking to herself that i could not decide if the laws of these worlds should supersede ours if we should bow before the advice of a god man even when it went against everything that made sense so i was like you know i wish people would stop and think about this before they are you know trying to kill someone else for not following a religion like does the laws of the other world supersede the laws of the earth does it make sense to kill innocent people just because they don't follow the same god as ours i again i don't think religion is telling people to kill others i think it's the men in power who do this men who claim to have read religious texts i honestly feel not all of them actually read the texts but they find some sort of interpretations to really rile people up for their cause and then use religion as a cop out for their heinous thinking and their wishes and then it's also the followers ignorance the leaders hatred and people's inherent biases are at the root of war murder not religion even as a non religious person i think religion can be a strong grounding thing in people's lives people can build communities around it people can use religion to get through tough times religion can also provide people purpose to help each other to do charity when religion translates to destruction it's usually a man's ego that's behind it 
Yeah, that's that's true. And since we were talking about reincarnation, I have something else to add here from the book. So Panchali's brother's tutor says that virtuous women were sent directly to the next birth, where if they were lucky, they will be reincarnated as men. I was just so pissed at this. And I was like, this is the fucking thing that people of our country have been eating with their breakfast in form of this highly viewed TV series. And the core of this whole thing was that women are lesser beings. And then it keeps repeating in many ways, where you see that when men make mistakes, they are forgiven. When women make mistakes, they are like this huge big deals, which which basically blame the entire species of women. One example that comes to my mind is of Bhishma Pitama, who is Pandava's grandfather. So in his previous life, his wife asked for a cow and he goes and steals it. Then when he receives punishment for that, he decided to blame his wife and entire female race and says that he will never waste time on women again. I was like, where is your self-accountability, Bhishma Pitama? Like for all your (laughs) preaching and all the talk of principles, you just didn't even look at yourself and your actions at all. And you know, this is what happens even... In this event, when Yudhishthir ended up losing everything that he possessed, including his brothers and his wife in a gambling match. And when Panchali hears of it and she thinks to herself that the wife is the property of the husband, no less than a cow or a slave. I know that was so hard. And I also felt like everybody kept blaming Panchali for the cause of that war that happened after. But nobody blamed Yudhishthir who started this. Yeah, I know. Panchali was not even behind the war, right? Like He wanted to go back to her house. She didn't care for all these stupid gambling games. Pandavas and Kauravas did this. But then in the end, they're like, oh, it happened because of a woman. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and right from the beginning, from her birth, she was prophesied to do this, right? Yeah. Like, because of you, a war is going to happen. How was because it because of, of you, her? people will die. If you laugh, people will die. If you ask questions, people will die. Like, there were like three things told yeah, to her. Yeah, right? right. So stupid. <laughs> and, you know, I was thinking that this whole big war that happens, that kills so many people, I think it could have easily been avoided if they could just hire an on-site therapist. <laughs> The court was full of all these angry, irrational men who definitely yeah. needed therapy. Like I have a <laughs> list of people. So Bish Pitama, like I said, he blamed women, but didn't check his actions. He needed therapy. Yeah. And then there is Dhritarashtra, who's the father of all the Korvas. He was this jealous, passive aggressive person who just didn't like anybody but his sons. So I think he also needed therapy to be a good king. Kind husband or yeah. kind father. <laughs> And then there's Duryodhan, his eldest son, who's a oh bully, God. a clear yeah. bully. Everybody sees it. Nobody reprimands him. He needed some sort of therapy. Then there's Dropid, Panchali's father, <laughs> who is a man full of anger and hatred from the very beginning. And the whole reason he had his kids was so that they would go and take revenge for him. Right. So that man definitely needed anger management lessons. <laughs> and then his nemesis, Drona, another angry man. Both of them should have gone together to anger management. (laughs) Then there's Kunti, who's Pandva's mom. So cold and non-communicative. Doesn't tell anything. Doesn't express feelings. She could use therapy, communication (laughs) skills, classes. And then the favorite husband, Yudhishthir. 
yeah so delusional <laughs> so crazy just because of age he's like allowed to do whatever he wants because he's the eldest he definitely could use therapy right just i think he could also just give his crown to the next brother and go live in a hippie camp or something that would be fine too <laughs> and then arjun this man was toxic i felt like you know one of those toxic relationship material oh definitely arjun yes arjun needed therapy Um, yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so see there's so many men who are carrying around all this anger and misguided views of what they deserved and how they were entitled for the throne or some sort of heroic medals or I don't know what they wanted but everyone had their own agenda and I think therapy could have helped them with some perspective and maybe coupled <laughs> with communication skills they could all live harmoniously. Oh you know I just realized maybe Krishna was their therapist. but you know no one paid attention to him just like real life therapist krishna was also on the sidelines all the time <laughs> i think krishna was doing free therapy that's why yeah what a middle class attitude them, like right? 200 bucks an hour i know but you know if you have read the bhagavad gita it actually talks about you know dharma and karma and it's very convoluted like there are some things that that are meant to happen and in these cases the bhagavad gita says that humans can either live thinking that they are meant to do what they're doing or that they have control over their actions and choices i still don't understand it and i think i never will but <laughs> i think that that is what mahabharata is about like some sort of their dharma that men are supposed to carry out irrespective of who it hurts but having said that what do you think of the ending of the book like what's the feeling that the end leaves you with so before i talk about my favorite part of the ending i want to tell the hilarious thing of the book that happens close to the ending you know in the end how the five pandavas and panchali leave hastinapur and they are going to die basically the idea is they go on this sort of hard hike and if they reach the summit they can enter heaven in human form and i don't know why would you want that like you can die and go to heaven like what's the difference i don't see the advantage there but but according to panchali this was yudhishthir's latest obsession and somewhere along the path she falls and she thinks that she can get up and try to follow her husband's but then she thinks what's the point she'll have to listen to more sermons from yudhishthir <laughs> <laughs> and then she chooses to die instead <laughs> yeah she's like oh, oh my god death is better at this point <laughs> i don't know why i felt it because <laughs> i was so sick of yudhishthir i was like yeah man i would die too <laughs> but coming back to your question i love the ending one of my favorite things about the book was krishna and panchali's friendship and that pure love that they had for each other throughout the book i loved their interaction so much when she was dying her husband kept going on their journey to go to heaven and left her behind and krishna shows up for her when she's dying he holds her hand and like you know talks to her tries to pacify her in her last moments that was so sweet such a different love and i also love that she finally gets together with karan yeah i think that's why i like the ending because you know finally this woman panchali who was given no choice or control over her own life was free to do whatever she wanted once she dies <laughs> of course like that is the catch but you know <laughs> and in the end she gets to be with the person that she has always loved but she couldn't be with on earth It was like you know how all of these poets say that only when women die they become liberated. <laughs> I felt like it was something like that. 
Oh my God, Kathy, that's such a sad thought. <laughs> I know. Twenty first century can we invent liberation without death? I don't know. You'll have to ask Indian aunties <laughs> or uncles. Oh my God. I guess. <laughs> I guess I have to die now. Well, you know, don't die because we still have to do brownie points, and we have that <laughs> interview with Chitra, so <laughs> you can't die. <laughs> okay, if you say so. I give this book a brownie point because I really liked how. a goddess has been humanized in this story so like panchali is supposed to be an indian goddess and you know goddesses are supposed to be like faultless but in this story we see a woman who is flawed at so many levels who eventually grew and learned all about her vengeful thinking and vices later in life i really like that yeah i love that too since you like this book i also feel that you would like sarsi by madeline miller It's also about a goddess who's sort of humanized in the story. Oh, nice, interesting. I will read it. I want to give this book another brownie point for how it has captured the truth of patriarchal societies, how they treat women as property of men, and yeah. I think it mainly speaks to Chitra's writing. Yeah. And I also will give another brownie point for the very visual and detailed description of the war scenes. because it made it so easy for me to picture it as if it was happening in front of my own eyes right that was amazing i think that is also because of how well chitra has written yeah before. true i have one more brownie point for shikhandi's story when i read it it was reading a very beautiful trans experience in my opinion like of course the back story for shikhandi's character is rooted in power and vengeance like most of the epic is but i saw his story as a process of a woman becoming a man after going through a painful transformation to be in a body that felt more true to him that was beautiful yeah i really liked it too that was like one of my favorite characters from this yeah book. mine too i wanted to see more of him yeah me too and now before we end this episode kathy do you want to tell what you are reading right now i'm actually not reading anything right now i'm going to take a break from reading how dare you <laughs> I think I will start a Carry On Warrior by Glennon Doyle soon. So. Yeah, I'm also going to start that one soon. Meanwhile, I'm listening to A Promised Land by Barack Obama. Oh still. god. <laughs> But Kathy, I make a vow today <laughs> that by our next episode I will have finished that one or I will not comb my hair. <laughs> <laughs> we will see. I have given up on that book. I'm not oh I don't think god. I'm going to finish it. It's still at 30%. <laughs> I'm at ninety-two percent, so I have a good chance of finishing it. Oh, nice! Yeah, let me know how it ends. How is it? Yeah, I'm really liking it uh, because right now he's talking about Trump, and it's like oh. masala. <laughs> oh wow! Oh my God! I want to reach that part now. <laughs> so that's all for today. For our next episode, we are bringing Chitra Devakaruni herself to discuss the Palace of Illusions and her other books. Until then, keep listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm/browngirlsread/support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Brown Girls Read Pod, and Brown Girls Read One on Twitter. If you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on our social media. and you can also subscribe to us on youtube for more content